The Bible reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 to 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's uh, Stephen McKay. I'm the preacher this morning, obviously, as I'm standing up when it's time to give the sermon. Uh, I've been here, I haven't been to this morning service, but I've been to your evening service a number of times last year. Uh, And it's my great uh, privilege and honour to be able to come and share with you God's word this morning. Um, If you've got Bibles there, please keep them open to that passage. Uh, We're going to look at that together. Let's pray, and then we'll have a look at it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you love us. We thank you that you've saved us through Jesus and called us to be your children. Help us to quiet our hearts and minds this morning. Help us to focus ourselves on you as you speak to us through your word. Help us to understand what you're saying to us and help us to put it into practice in your lives, in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy happy New Year. Uh, It's a a week after Christmas and we're into the new year already. Uh, It's great to be able to to share with you this morning. Uh, And most people... In Australia, I think we'll have heard of Jesus, especially around Christmas time, wouldn't it? With you know, the, uh, I don't know about your church, but at my church, uh, we had a lot of visitors on Christmas Eve, and we did a nativity play and all those sorts of things, and that's great. And we love having visitors come to church, and we love uh, people coming who don't normally come. Um, and so most people in Australia will have heard of Jesus, especially at Christmas time, and most people will have some idea of who he was and what he did. But a lot of people's understanding of of Jesus will be limited to the Christmas story. So they will picture Jesus as a baby in a stable, maybe with some cute fluffy farm animals around him. Or maybe they will picture Jesus uh, with his mother Mary. 
But that's where their picture of Jesus will stop. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, wouldn't hurt a fly. They don't think through the fact that he grew up, that he became a man, and he did some incredible things, that he was a real historical figure. And so I thought as we start the new year, we should look at this man rather than just, we've seen the baby last week, let's look at the man Jesus. And so if someone is just focused on Jesus as a baby, they can be shocked when they read a passage like this one. I wonder how you felt when this passage was read out. You see, this passage paints a completely different picture of Jesus to the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that many of us are used to. He gets angry and violent. This is not the Jesus we're used to hearing about. Why is he so upset? And what, if anything, does that mean for us? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we do, we need to put this passage in its context, because this is a one-off sermon today. We're towards the end of Matthew's Gospel, it's Matthew chapter 21, and we're towards the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. He's just entered Jerusalem, uh, riding on a donkey, and he's entered as the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the, the, the one in David's line, the promised son of David. And he, there is ongoing conflict between him and the religious leaders. And everything he does in this passage is designed to present his claim to be the true Messiah. So the first thing there in verses 12 to four, to, and 13. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. You see, the temple was the center of the Jewish people's worship of God. It was where God had promised to meet with his people. And the Jews were to bring animals to sacrifice to God, but as lots of them came from a long way away, they would buy an animal when they got to Jerusalem, and then they would sacrifice that animal. That's why people are selling animals. But they're selling them in the temple courts, not in the local marketplace, which they could have easily been doing. Now, here's a, a picture, I hope you can see that, of what we think Jesus is, uh, the, the temple looked like in Jesus' day. The passage says that they are selling animals in the temple courts. Where, they think, where we think they were is the outer part called the Court of the Gentiles, where I've put those two blue arrows. It, that was a part that those who weren't Jews were allowed to go into. Only Jewish people were allowed to kind of go through the doors and into the temple itself. And so they're selling, they're changing money, and they're selling animals just on the outskirts of the temple, in the temple courts. And Jesus is really angry. And why is he so angry? Well, I think there's two reasons. The first is the way that the Jews are treating God's temple, and therefore God himself. You see, the temple and the sacrifices have become a business for them, a way to make money rather than a way to worship God. It's like turning up at someone's wedding and trying to sell wedding presents to the guests. You're obviously not there for the wedding. You don't care for the people. You just want to make some money. By the way that they're acting, the Jews are telling those around them that worshipping God is not all that important. It's just a ritual that you have to go through. Oh, and by the way, it's a way for, for us to make money. Jesus is angry at their lack of respect for God. It's like they don't really believe in God at all. And the temple is just a convenient place for them to make money. The second reason that Jesus is angry is that the Jews are making it impossible for the Gentiles, that means anybody who's not a Jew, to worship God at all. 
Imagine that you're a person from a far-off country, not a Jewish person at all, so you're called a Gentile, and you've heard about the God of the Jews, and you come to Jerusalem to perhaps find out about him and, and maybe even worship him. Now imagine that the only place you're allowed to go to come near to God has been turned into a marketplace with animals bleating and people haggling over prices. The Jews have made it impossible for the Gentiles to draw near to God and worship him. It's like turning up to see some dear friends get married and you can't get into the church because the whole place is taken up by people buying and selling wedding presents. And Jesus is furious. Jesus is focused on people having a right relationship with God and he clears the temple courts so that the place supremely designed to serve as a focal point of the relationship between God and man, the temple, can be used for its original purpose. Jesus is judging the Jews and especially the religious leaders for their complete lack of any sort of reverence or respect for God. Their actions in allowing the temple courts to be turned into a marketplace show that they really don't believe in God at all. So he clears the temple and then people start bringing people to him for him to heal while he is at the temple. I'll just read those verses out, verses 14 to 16. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? Why are the religious leaders indignant? They don't like what the children are saying. They are calling him the son of David. The the phrase, Hosanna to the son of David, means the son of David is our salvation. Hooray for the king. Salvation belongs to the king. The children have worked out that Jesus is the son of David, the promised king, the Messiah, and that he's the one who has come to save them. And his actions back up the fact that he is the Messiah. He heals the blind and the lame, which only the Messiah could do. And Jesus is healing the blind and lame in and around the temple, whereas in 2 Samuel 5.8, they were excluded from the temple. So Jesus is bringing in a new way of doing things, a new era in which the old barriers give way to God's purpose of universal blessing for all people, Jews and Gentiles, whether you're lame, whether you're blind, no matter what. But why don't the chief priests and the teachers of the law like the children shouting that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, who has come to save them? Because they don't believe that he is. They don't believe that he's the Messiah. Even though they've seen the wonderful things that he does, they still don't think that he's the Messiah. Now, there's two possible reasons for that. The first is that he doesn't follow their rules. And they just assume that when the Messiah turned up, he would follow their rules. Their rules about what could happen in the temple and who could come there and things like that. And the second possible reason is that he isn't acting like they expected him to. They they were probably expecting when the Messiah came that he would be a military king, that he would overthrow the Romans and bring back the glory days of Israel. But Jesus comes as a different sort of a Messiah and they don't think that he is that Messiah. So they approach him and ask him if he can hear what the children are saying. In other words, they're wanting him to tell the children to stop saying that, that he's the Messiah because the children have got it wrong. But Jesus replies by quoting Psalm 8, which is a psalm of King David. In the psalm, David says that God calls forth praise from the lips of children and infants, and Jesus applies that psalm to himself and says that God has called forth these children's praise of him. 
Jesus comes into conflict with the religious leaders and he refuses to back down. He says that the children are right and the religious leaders are wrong. The children have worked out that Jesus is the son of David, but the religious leaders refuse to recognise the truth. And that's the end of that scene. And then Jesus goes out of, of Jerusalem. He spends a night at Bethany and we pick it up again when he's walking back into Jerusalem from Bethany. Verse 18. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on, the, on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the, fig, the tree with it. Why does Jesus destroy the fig tree? Well, it's because the fig tree was used in the Old Testament to represent Israel. And just like the, this fig tree had no fruit, Jesus had, has found no fruit, in other words, deeds coming from faith, from the religious leaders. In Micah chapter 7, verse 1, uh, Micah uses the figure of a fruitless fig tree to represent Israel's moral and religious failure. Jesus was using this image to represent the failure of Judaism and especially the religious leaders in his day. And he was pronouncing judgment on them. He's saying that if you call yourself a follower of God, and especially if you're in a position of authority, you better live up to what you say, otherwise you will be judged. Now, the disciples don't get Jesus' reference and instead focus on the miracle itself. Their question should have been, why did you destroy the fig tree? Rather than, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? They've seen Jesus do lots of, of miracles by this point. So they would have known that he had this sort of power. Three times in this passage, Jesus pronounces judgment on the religious leaders of his, of his day. Firstly, by clearing the, t- the temple. Secondly, by saying that the children have got it right, but the leaders haven't. And thirdly, with the enacted parable of the fig tree. Jesus has come as the son of David, God's promised king, the Messiah. He comes to save all of those who will believe in him. But he also judges those who refuse to believe in him, and especially the religious leaders. So the summary of this passage is, Jesus pronounces judgment on the religious leaders due to their refusal to believe in him. So what should we do in response to this passage? We've learnt uh, things about Jesus, that he's not just a baby, that he grew up, and that he had some very strong things to say. Well, the first thing that we can learn is that we can know that Jesus really is God's son, the son of David, God's promised chosen Messiah, who comes to save and rule all of those who follow him. And we can know that he gets angry at those who pretend to be followers of God, but aren't really. And so the first thing that we should do in response to this passage is don't be like the religious leaders. Make your relationship with God the centre of your life, not something that you just pretend to do. Let me give you an example of that. Um, My wife was telling me about a friend of hers who goes to a church right in the centre of town, and she's a bell ringer at her church. And I thought that just meant that she was the person who pulled the bell to to announce that it was time for church. But apparently it means a lot more than that. Apparently there's a whole group of them, and they've got a whole series of bells. I don't know if you've heard it in town. And it's a lovely sound, isn't it, when they're doing all the different things. They often do it after someone's been married. Um, and, you know, they have this lovely sound. And so this, this lady is part of that group. She's a bell ringer at her church. It's not something I'm used to. It's not the sort of church that I normally go to, but it's, it's a lovely sound when I'm in town and I hear it. But this lady was confiding in Heather 
that she really just goes to church because she gets to play the bells. And she likes the... It's a fairly formal church, I think. And she likes the ceremony of the church and the bell ringing and the music. But she really doesn't listen to the Bible being read or the sermon. And she really doesn't have a relationship with God. Now, she might call herself a Christian. She certainly will call herself a churchgoer. But in the end, she's just pretending. She's there for the music, not for a relationship with God. God is not at the centre of her life. And this passage is saying that Jesus does not care for people who are like that. But he's not angry at the religious leaders just for that. He's also angry with their actions, the way that their, that their lack of faith in him and God led them to stopping the Gentiles from coming to worship God. Now, we know that we don't need to come to a particular building to worship God, but the warning still remains that as we gather together here at church, don't stop people coming to church to meet with God. Now, how would we do that? Well, I'm not sure we'd set up a marketplace out the back there, you know, and people couldn't physically get through the doors or couldn't hear when they came in. But we could do other things, me at my church, hear you at your church, that would have the same effect. If we don't invite people, then they may never come to church. We may, we may struggle to make people feel welcome when they come, and so if they're not made to feel welcome, they may not come back. We might speak or act in ways that make newcomers feel uncomfortable. We might even look down on people who aren't the same as us, like those Jews did to the Gentiles. Or we might do things in a way that make it hard for newcomers to understand the language you use, the vocab, the, the inside jokes. We need to make every effort to make our church services as welcoming and accessible to newcomers as possible. And the reason for that is not just so that our church will get bigger. It's not because of that. It's so that they will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour just like we do and put God at the centre of their life like we have. We need to make our church a place where people can come, feel welcomed and meet with God through Jesus. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. And the last application from this passage is that if you are a follower of God and Jesus... I want you to know that you will meet people like these religious leaders and that you might get persecuted for truly believing in Jesus and following him. Let me give you a recent example. This happened last year. Uh, Daniel Andrews, the Victorian Premier, remember uh, a few months ago? He, claimed, he claims to be a follower of God. He's serious about that. He says oh, he is a follower of God, but he calls the Bible's teaching on abortion and homosexuality, and I'm quoting him here, absolutely appalling, bigotry and intolerant. And when a Christian man, Andrew Thorburn, was appointed as the CEO of the Essendon Football Club, he called for him to be sacked immediately. Andrew Thorburn ended up resigning one day after taking that role. Now, that's just one of many recent examples that I could point to of people who are leaders in our society, who call themselves followers of God, yet in practice ridicule God's clear word in the Bible and those who hold it. It happened in Jesus' day. 
It will happen in our day too. Don't be surprised as our society moves further away from its Christian heritage that more and more people will become hostile towards Christianity, even those who claim to believe it and are in positions of authority. And what should we do in response to this? Well, I think that we are to hold firm to the truth of the message about Jesus and the clear teaching of the Bible, even if we get ridiculed for it and even if it costs us our jobs. For even the children in Jesus' day knew the truth and cried, Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David is our salvation. Hooray for the king. Salvation belongs to the king. Our cry should be the same, no matter what the rest of our society is saying. Jesus is our saviour king, and our job is to continue to trust in him, despite what everyone else says. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son into this world as the promised Messiah, that he was a baby but he grew up to be a man, and that he died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins, to bring us back into a right relationship with you, and to assure us of a place in heaven with you. Uh, when we when we pass away or when you come back. Uh, help us to know that to be true, to trust in that, to make people feel welcome when they come to church and invite people to church so that they can hear that wonderful message too and help us to hold on to, tightly to that message despite the persecution that we get uh, and help us to do that for your glory, Lord. Amen.